Hi, welcome to PhD Rhapsody, an honest podcast about PhD's life where we share our stories, some experiences, and funny moments. Here we talk how PhD changed our life, share our fears and achievements during our scientific research. I'm Martin. I'm Vilda. I'm Alpina. Hi! Hi, I'm Katrin. I'm a biologist by training and uh, I'm now a postdoc here in Bergen at the University Hospital. And more specifically, I'm working in cancer research and I'm trying to find new treatment options for uh, people who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And Katrin is already a doctor. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I finished my PhD also here in Bergen in end of 2019. And I'm quite happy that I could continue the same project as a postdoc. So what are you specifically doing? Uh, For women with ovarian cancer, it is quite important uh, that the surgery, so at the beginning uh, when they are diagnosed, um, the surgeons try to resect or to remove all the tumors and all metastasis. And I'm trying to identify a tumor-specific target um, where we can then um, inject an antibody with a fluorophore so that during the surgery we can lightening up uh, the tumors. So it's much easier then for the surgeon to see the tumors and then be able to resect everything. And even if the surgeon sees the tumor, um, sometimes there are just some residual uh, tumor cells left, uh, which you cannot see by the naked eye. But then if you have like light popping up, you know, okay, this has to be removed. And we hope that in the future this will result in a better survival of patients with ovarian cancer mm. now in my head i was just like imagining you know the gl- like a glow the glow stick uh, glowing thing yes Is so it's <laughs> like a glowing jellyfish or uh, the, the bee or the flies which are just glowing in the light so Seriously, this so is fluorescence and um, then the it's also not so different in the surgical suite uh, you just have a camera head above the patient and then you just switch on the laser and it excites the fluorophores which are in the body. Um, and wherever this antibody has bound, hopefully only to the specific tumor cells, uh, we can see these cells and be able to resect them. Cool. Oh so all of the bad cells are like glowing up like glow sticks. Yes, that is the best case scenario. Of course, there are some flaws and also some challenges in this technique because this antibody um, is cleared by the body through the kidney or through the liver. So you have also the kidney or the liver glowing um, mm. or maybe it's also still in the bloodstream. Um, so you have some unspecific signal as well. So you have to identify the best time point where you perform this surgery and uh, have to identify a really good biomarker which is not present in your healthy tissues because we have to remember that a tumor cell is your own body cell which has just done some strange reprogramming uh, and is now a bit modified but it's still your own cell wow (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually i'm really close to crying (laughs) but I mean, it's not a technique or something I invented. I just try to identify these t- 
tumor-specific uh, target, which is quite challenging. Um, mm. Sounds so difficult. So you do a lot of this work in the lab. Yes. <laughs> like a proper lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was told that uh, nobody can really maybe imagine how a chemistry or biology lab looks like because I remember that I first went into a geology lab and I just <laughs> saw like plenty of computers standing around. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the centrifuges? Where are the pipettes? <laughs> Where are the instruments? So... Yes, uh, the lab uh, at our place or at the hospital looks quite different. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have animals in your lab? <laughs> uh, we don't have animals in, in the lab. So um, in the lab, it's basically, you have to imagine, it's just lots of centrifuges and um, um, hoods so where we can work sterile, which has an airflow uh, so that everything can be done sterile and we don't have any contamination and... Um, yeah, it's just the environment we need to, for example, culture as well tumor cells. Um, but we also have an animal facility um, where we have mice and rats. Um, and this animal facility is for cancer research, but also for other research like cardiac uh, or neurological disorders. Uh, so many different things at the hospital here. I mean, this sounds so cool. I'm really yes. sorry. <laughs> yes. It's like we look at rocks in the lab, which are... Yeah, the rocks, I mean, you yeah. can find them everywhere, but this is, is like a big Dexter's Laboratory kind of lab, it feels like. At least that's the picture yeah, I'm getting. Um, I must say also here in Bergen, it's quite big. Uh, we The laboratory building is uh, nine floors, and <sighs> we are sharing, uh, of course, all three instruments because they are super expensive uh, with different uh, groups. So sometimes I feel like I'm running a marathon a day because <laughs> I have to go up and down and I hate waiting. So I usually don't wait for the lifts to come. <laughs> I just take the stairs. <laughs> yeah, and sometime at the end of the day, I regret it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wear a lab coat? Yes. Oh, so cool. Yes. <laughs> gloves. <laughs> and now we're also running around with the masks, of course. <laughs> mm. So it's a different protection level now with COVID. Yeah, mm. definitely. So how many hours, yeah, how many hours did you spend in lab during your PhD? I always wanted to work as much as possible in the lab because of course it's much more fun as writing and <laughs> sitting <laughs> on the computer. Um, but I would say maybe 50-50 mm. um, because it also takes some time to do the literature research and to plan your experiment and design them. Uh, all the reagents are expensive and also for the for the mouse work you want to avoid to do any unnecessary uh, ones um, so it's a lot of planning beforehand and then afterwards of course it's a lot of data analysis and uh, bringing the message across making nice figures and yeah mm. do you have any tips for people working in labs or maybe phd students that will have to do lab work like how to plan stuff or yeah it's it's quite funny because whenever somebody new comes into the lab who has no lab experience they just say ah oh, we just have to do this in triplicates and then we are done um but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has to work <laughs> so i think it's always good to have a good plan uh, beforehand uh, have a look at the methods and try to read as many different protocols because what wor might work for one person is not maybe working for you or for 
other people also because maybe you have a different instrument or um, different reagent, different tools. Um, write a really, really detailed protocol. This is also really important because the reviewers will ask, oh, did you do now two minutes incubation or five minute incubation? And so have like an old fashioned way, a paper <laughs> in mm -hmm. front of you and write everything down. Yeah, I usually design my experience on the computer. So I write everything on the computer and merge different protocols. And uh, when I'm then in the lab, I might modify them. Um, and then I upload it again on my computer so that I have everything digital and I cannot lose any loose paper. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but the old traditional way, of course, is to have a lab book. But I don't really like to have this lab book carrying around mm -hmm. uh, everywhere with me. What about dictaphone? Uh, uh. Is voice recorder? Voice recorder. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a Russian at least. <laughs> I think that's the fancy word for it. But uh. Oh yeah, okay. Well, yeah. we have only one. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, that voice. would be cool actually. Yeah. <laughs> because of course when you work or when you want to implement a standardized protocol, um, this is also now for all the COVID uh, tests uh, required that you every after each step you are performing you have to verify that you have done it so basically you have to just make a tick uh, in your protocol um, that you didn't forget these steps and then the voice recorder <laughs> would be super cool right because then mm. you could just continue working and talking to yourself mm. and verify <laughs> that you have done it yeah, but no we don't have it <laughs> no oh, that's a shame you know i imagine in my head uh, this uh, criminal uh, lab when they are doing some stuff with dead body and they're recording <laughs> and the uh, voice recorder hanging f f <laughs> the, yeah proof and but every time they use these uh, recorders, I feel like always the last entry is a scream or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I guess it's quite popular for medical um, doctors. Uh, they just make diagnosis or write the report basically and first talking and let somebody else type it down. Oh, yeah. really? Lazy, lazy well, people. I'm, I'm probably uh, there. Are probably some uh, program or software that uh, convert the voice to the yeah word document. So did everything go smoothly with the your lab work? Not no no <laughs> screaming no <laughs> no murders no uh, no of course it's never <laughs> perfect. Uh, I spent much more time with experiments than I wanted to. I wanted to achieve much more during my PhD, <laughs> which I guess everybody wants. And at the end, time is flying by and things does not don't work. Uh, we also sometimes just have problems that these expensive machines are not working and then people have to fly in uh, to repair them, um, which then takes some time. So it's sometimes also out of your control. Mm. Yeah. Did you plan for that in advance? or No. Yes. <laughs> I always believed everything would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> an optimist. Um, yeah, so you didn't have like a plan B or anything before it happened? No, but uh, there were always safe studies, so mm. um, safe experiments. But of course, you want to investigate something novel, something new, and you never know if something new will be the outcome or if it's just if you identify something which is already known. Um, mm. So. 
And this is maybe also a bad thing about research in general, that you only publish positive results and people are repeating and repeating things because maybe they are great ideas, but there are just no positive results and they are just repeating the negative ones yeah. because I didn't know mm. that somebody else um, has Already done it before did. and mm. failed. Mm. But do people share their protocols with each other or is it more you're secretive about your protocol? Yeah, no, I think uh, most people do, um, especially you can tell them I will acknowledge you or you can be a shared author. It's quite common as well to be 10, 20 people uh, on, a, on a paper, right? That's no problem. And um, there are also quite a lot of methods paper uh, where people publish their mm. protocols. But I'm always super careful because they are fine polished and maybe you first have to test them anyway if they work for you because sometimes there are just really small things as well missing where people think ah oh, this is obvious that you have to do it but maybe it's written by a chemist or by a by a mathematician or mm. by somebody with totally different backgrounds and then things which might be obvious are not anymore yeah hmm. interesting but publish a negative result as well Yeah, I guess people do that. Well, not everyone. Not too much. No. But maybe it's a good thing as well, because then people can say, oh, this thing definitely doesn't work. Don't try it. Don't waste time doing it. Yeah, but usually it's just like in a bigger paper then. And then you say, okay, we also tried this. This didn't work, so we did that. So you always have the solution to the problem, right? Like things didn't work, so we did something else. Mm -hmm. And there are really, really few papers which only accept or journals, I think, which only accept really negative results. I don't know, I just feel... um, Maybe it's also because it's difficult to sometimes bring negative results across and make them interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, new thinking. Mm. (laughs) That's good. That's how it's supposed to be, right? (laughs) Science. So for your PhD, did you write three papers? Uh, Yes, um, I wrote three papers, but... None of them have been published before I defended, uh, so they were all uh, published afterwards. Mm-hmm. Did you finish in time? Yes, Yay. I finished in exactly three years, but it was also because um, I wanted to continue with the postdoc, and uh, this postdoc was already there, and I had to apply for this, and I couldn't apply without having a PhD, obviously. Um, mm. So to get that funding, I just needed to get finished. That's a nice motivation. Yes, it really, is. yeah. So you, are you doing the same type of lab work in your uh, postdoc as you did in your PhD? Yeah, so I just finished uh, kind of my, my papers from my PhD and then uh, made one step more, kind of, or uh, yeah, tried to uh, dig a bit deeper into that uh, topic. Oh. When you're in the lab, is it just you or do you have assistants or...? Uh, We are always working in a team. Um, So it's always one or two other colleagues who have the same research interest. And then um, sometimes we just do the experiment together because it's just quicker if you have to pipette 50 samples or with several washing steps and you just do it together. It's also verification that you don't do any mistakes. And for some experiments, we can just divide them, which is also quite nice because, um, for example, cell culture work, it means you have to keep your cells alive. 
Yeah. <laughs> they have to be cultivated every second or every third day. Uh, so it's also quite nice to do it to with somebody else together to don't have to come in yeah, every second day or it's on mm. weekends maybe sometimes. So. Mm. So then you're taking care of them together as a family. Yes, yeah. that's actually so nice. Do you have like different Nobody's roles? Nobody's allowed like to die. And <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no, it's not too emotional. Can you imagine someone uh, will come to the o- our office and check our seismic interpretation or thin sections? It would be nice. <laughs> such, a, such a nice verification. How is your rock doing today? Yeah. Like, rock. <laughs> But do you have a lab head, like uh, a chief of the lab or something? Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have uh, one principal investigator, so the professor. And then at the moment we are uh, three postdocs. And oof, it's changing so many times. I'm <laughs> not sure actually how many PhD students we have, but then there are also some uh, technicians um, and... Uh, we are quite lucky that my my boss also has a uh, a company, um, so we are working together with that company as well. Um, and I think we are around thirty people. Mm. Uh, not all focusing on ovarian cancer, though. So we have different types of disease we are focusing on, but then the methods are overlapping as well. So we have. Uh, yeah, lab meetings once a week, and it's quite nice then to just exchange um, information and results and discuss them. Mm. Mm. Like a family. Mm. <laughs> That's good. Very good. So, do you have the same work life now than you had? I don't know. I think it's before? a bit difficult because I finished just maybe before COVID. Mm. Um, then it was a lot of paper revisions and getting them out and I also wrote a review paper and a book chapter and so there was a lot of writing involved um, so I didn't do really a lot in the lab the last year um, also because of the restriction I never knew how long we were allowed in the lab and when we have home office again so it was a bit limited but Maybe I don't feel the pressure as much to be finished in time. On the other hand, of course, if you want to do a a career in academia, there's always pressure to get papers out, write ground applications, uh, and just tick all the boxes you need on your CV. So I feel there's the pressure, but a different kind of pressure. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I've heard that postdoc is uh, even better than PhD because... Yeah, you don't have this pressure to finish in time and have a defense and stuff. It's like more (laughs) relaxing and better times than PhD. I've actually heard the opposite. Oh, really? Yeah. um, My supervisor or our supervisor, he told me when I started, relax, this is just your PhD. When you're (laughs) starting your postdoc, that's when the game starts. Oh, because these uh, <laughs> grant applications and stuff. Yeah, mm. I feel the same actually. Uh, mm. Now I really, really want to go back into the lab again. And when you start your PhD, you don't have any results yet. So you're kind of experiencing just this lab work and you're enjoying just to 
I get some crazy results and <laughs> just play with them. Um, as a postdoc, I feel you're not allowed to play anymore. Uh, it's more serious. Like you have to, you have to produce, and you're also responsible for other people in the lab. Uh, as a PhD student, maybe you you can do a bit more <laughs> what you want. Uh, as a postdoc, you have also other responsibilities, and mm. your time is shared a bit more. So when you say play in the lab, <laughs> <laughs> I get these pictures that you're just feeding the mice. <laughs> you're making like this, uh, I guess, this tunnel that the rats have to run through. But I guess that's not the case. Yeah. Or I know that's not the case, at yeah. least. <laughs> so what's the most creative thing you've done personally that you enjoyed, at least, in the lab? In general, I just like to have the option or the opportunity that when I read something in the literature and I tell my boss, oh, I found like this really cool approach and I really think that can bring our research uh, one step ahead and uh, we should try this, that he give me the okay or like also that he believes in me that I have read the right things and um, to do it. And this was already the case in my PhD. So I felt quite happy about trying out things and uh, maybe investigate new markers and have just the opportunity to also um, yeah do the method I want to and maybe yeah to be free <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this sounds a bit strange because of course there are rules and guidelines and it's all expensive so you have to think about what you do that's not what I want to say but it's a bit more, uh, you can be creative. Yeah. I think that's really important for the scientific work as well. Mm. That you can think creative, you can try new things. So I think, yeah, I mean, you can't just do whatever you want, I guess. No, but <laughs> like a PhD project, there's a proposal and there are some ideas, but they might not be your own ideas. So you're brought into the project and you want to fulfill whatever uh, the professor or whoever has written this proposal wants but then you also read stuff and you might want to lead this project in a bit of a different direction which might not be wrong so you give it kind of your own signature as well and uh, um, having then different angles I feel this is just enriching <laughs> or like uh, making it a bit more powerful um, and I felt I have done this with my PhD project that I have give it, given it my signature. And yeah, so I'm quite happy about that. Cool. Yeah. I have a question. Not a question. I have an, an um, what's it called? Not a demand, a wish. <laughs> 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 a demand. Not a demand. <laughs> Cure cancer now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Could you just, could you? talk us through a normal day in the lab like what do you do and like when you get there and what do you work with and I feel that's not really easy to say uh, because I think maybe it's easy if I tell you that also the work in the lab can be maybe divided into three different fields mm -hmm. so there's one those cell lines I'm talking about so we have um uh, cells, tumor cells, which have been taken out maybe 50 years ago from a patient or from a woman. I'm not sure if you heard about this HeLa cells, uh, Henrietta Lacks. Um, she was an 
Afro-American, and there's a book uh, published about uh, how the doctor uh, uh, has just taken her cells and cultured them. And if, I'm not sure if this is now correct, if I remember correctly, but if you would put each cell, which is in the laboratories, frozen down around the world, if you put would put it uh, in order or like uh, stack them up, they would go two times around the world. Um, so, so many cells of her have been cultivated and frozen down. Oh my god, I think I've heard about that. Um, Maybe you actually told me there's that. There's also actually uh, a Netflix, <laughs> I think, <laughs> movie now about this. Um, but yeah, so then it's the cultivation of those cell lines um, where you have to work sterile, you have to check them every second day, so you're in the cell culture lab. And then you can also use those cells to do um, experiments and maybe check some markers. Then the second part is that usually uh, Mondays, Tuesdays are operations um, of ovarian cancer patients. And then we are called that these patients is now underwent uh, uh, surgery and we can pick up a tumor sample. And of course, this is not planable so I just have to go then to the clinic clinic and to the women's clinic pick it up and process a sample uh, for us to use in the lab and um, to use it for our research and this might come uh, I added that it came at five o'clock in the evening because the operation took so long and then mm. I was stuck in the lab until 11 so this can happen and of course this is not normal yeah. um, and then the third thing we are working on is uh, mouse experiments, but those are quite like intervals. So sometimes then if you have done all the in vitro, so cell line and um, patient um, work, um, you go then into the mice and evaluate what you have figured out beforehand in an organism. And um, this requires and that you check the mice daily. And uh, of course, then you have to go to the animal facility. So I feel there are three different maybe buildings or laboratories where I'm, I'm working. So usually in the morning I come in and answer just emails and plan the day. Uh, then I start an experiment. Sometimes this goes the whole day. Sometimes it's only checking the mice or checking the cell lines. So it varies quite a lot then. Cool. You have to be so good with planning. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And flexible at the same time. Yeah, maybe that's also because uh, <laughs> obviously um, if you're an optimist, you always think uh, I'm just doing this protocol, this will be done in two hours and then I'm ready to run my sample on that machine. Mm. And then you have to book the machines and you have only booked it for one hour because you think I'm efficient, I mm -hmm. save money by only booking it one hour and then your incubation time takes longer or like all the pipetting and whatever and then you miss your time slot and like oh mm -hmm. now I have to call the different people who have booked it after me if they can postpone if I can come after them <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it requires a bit of planning um, to be efficient maybe as well um, yeah mm. so I guess always try to plan a bit more time <laughs> for yeah. things. Yeah. What, what do you do with the mice? Do you make, like, I'm back to the glow sticks. Do you yeah. make, like, do you use this cell thing with the mice and make them glow to see, like, when you have to operate? Uh, yeah, so um, we first it uh, screened all these cell lines and also we got the patient 
tumor, so I had all the cells from the patient um, and identified a marker which we think is specific. And then uh, what we are doing is we implanting those cells from the patient into the mice and those mice don't have any immune system so this patient tumor will grow in the mouse and metastasize as well. So um, we can study how aggressive this tumor is, which treatment might work on that tumor, because even if it's called one disease, it's ovarian cancer. Mm. Um, it's not this one size fits all. So during the last years, the treatment approaches have quite changed. Um, and we want a bit more personalized uh, medicine. And then we use all these um, heterogeneous um, models then to test if our approach works. Um, and we had then one study where we tested uh, five different uh, patient tumors in mice and looked if we can really detect all tiny metastases. And the outcome actually was that uh, out of the five uh, in one patient, we couldn't really uh, see the glowing tumors. It was too dim because this marker was just not um, high. Like it was not... Um, a lot of those markers in this tumor uh, sample. So yeah, this let us then think about it again, that we have to improve uh, this method and might yeah, use a different fluorophore or um, a different antibody, yeah. We all, as a PhD, have to take a ethic course. Do you have some ethic classes specifically for lab or yeah, so there is definitely a specific ethic uh, yeah. course and also um, a regulation or guideline uh, class or course about animal work. Mm. And I believe this is super important. There's also ethical guidelines and reasons like how to use patient material and how to treat personal information and how to um, work with that tumor piece you are receiving, what you're allowed to do with it. And that goes the same for the mice. Um, you have to um, ask for approval for each mouse you plan to use. And you have to follow uh, those guidelines. And I think this is really important uh, as respect for the patient and also for the mice. Ethical police. Ethical what's police. The, yeah, what's the difference between mice and rats? Because you also said there were rats in the... Um, yes, um, we are only working with mice in, in cancer research. Uh, um, it has a bit of practical reasons. Um, so mice share a lot of genes and biological characteristics with us. Um, so it's a quite good model organism to to see how those therapies or um, treatment approaches are working. And of course, also the small size of the mouse make it on one hand a bit easier to house them and keep them happy. On the other hand, uh, they are too small to investigate some mm. things. For example, you cannot do or uh, remove parts of the intestine in a mouse and let it live afterwards like we do in humans, right? So I'm not saying that it's done in rats, but there's like this uh, size limiting factor. And then also for some cardiovascular uh, diseases, then rats might be more useful uh, just also because of the size of the heart. You cannot mm. operate on a heart of a mouse. Um, okay, yeah, because it's just too, too small. small. Yeah. Um, but isn't pig hearts similar to human hearts? 
Yeah, so actually we also have some pigs at you the do, uh, oh. vivarium. I'm not working with it, but um, there's medical training. Um, so doctors um, educated on um, the pigs. And for example, we take out um, the membrane, which is covering our intestines and our organs because um, for ovarian cancer, when the tumor metastasized, it's just floating in our yeah, belly or in our pelvis. And then it's settling on this membrane. And this membrane, we believe, is qu- has something which makes those cells attach and grow, right? Because uh, it's usually infiltrated. So we take this mem- membrane of the pig and then culture cells on this membrane. Uh, before we go into into mice or into animal work, um, mm. so to have a bit of an ex vivo um, recreation of how different things are interacting with each other. Mm. Uh, so we also use pig, and we um, for this surgical ap- uh, approach, um, we also have approval to uh, do some of these studies in dogs. So uh, dogs which um, have cancer. Uh, mm. We then mm, talk to the owners and say we have this uh, antibody which will not do any harm and this might end and then in a better outcome uh, for the dog. So we have veterinarians who are specialized in oncology and who are doing those kind of surgeries in a veterinarian uh, clinic and then they can use this technique uh, to see if this has any impact uh, on the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, now I understand why you have nine floors. <laughs> How is that many animals? Uh. Yeah, this is actually in a different building. Uh. <laughs> oh, my God. On yeah. the animal farm. <laughs> it's actually in the, the animal um, housing is not as big. Um, so there's, so I think if there are pigs, there are usually one or two uh, pigs. And uh, for the mice and the rats, we have one floor, I think, with five or six rooms. Mm. Can you go and like cuddle the pigs? Is that allowed? <laughs> 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 You're having a coffee break and going. I just the feel pigs. I don't want to get too emotional. Mm. Um, yeah, so, and this is also what I had to learn in the beginning with the patients because whenever I got this patient tumor, I knew that on the other end of the uh, campus or of the hospital, there's mm. a patient suffering from this, yeah. and I try to do the same with the with the animals. What would you do if you don't like mice or rats? Yeah, like the... Uh, can you imagine? Hold the rat. They're uh. quite cute, actually. Oh. Um, so, of course, nobody has to work with mice. Uh, you can do cancer research without working with mice and do all the pre-evaluation um, in in an in vivo system, so in, in cell lines you're growing, or as I explained, like with this peritoneum, um, culture the cells on this membrane, um, you can um, culture uh, all the different cell types together to try to form an organism, or we call it organoid. Uh, this is now becoming uh, to be yeah, a big tool as well for drug testing. Um, and yeah so it can be avoided and 
it actually also should. So if you if you can avoid uh, working with mice, maybe. Okay. Spend it. But I guess you get used to it. Um, it's yeah. Like, yeah, it's part of the job. I guess to some it would be the same to work with spiders, for instance. Like if they're really, yeah. really scared. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like you no, like. no insects. <laughs> Probably it's no animals. Really like this if you um, open the cage the first time and they are running around and then they also get used to you uh, weighing them and maybe shaving them because for this fluorescence approach we need to shave it because the hair is out of fluorescence. So we need to shave some parts or um, we also have ultrasound studies uh, and for ultrasound to apply this probe it also has to be on a shaved uh, mouse um yeah oh. so not all of us are working with mice actually not all of us in the group hmm. it must be heartbreaking so you used to you know shave this mice yeah and like take care feed and then dies yeah, we also have, uh, you have mice quite long, and they have a mm. life cycle or yeah, life expectancy of uh, one and a half, two years. Oh. And in these patient-derived uh, xenograft models, we call them, so where the patient tumor is growing, uh, we have the mice up to a year. Um, okay, mm. but do you have um, therapists around or? but um, we have specialists so we have two veterinarians in our group um, who might be trained as well with the question of or how to deal as well with uh, taking a life or um, yeah I think it's also important to know like how you handle pain if there's pain because of course no animal should suffer mm-hmm. so you have to have these people who can handle this and this is maybe not what a biologist should do and that's the same uh, for the patient Uh, in the beginning I didn't know how to handle it and I was calling my boss who is a gynecologist and told her like I'm dreaming uh, badly and I cannot sleep and how did you deal with it because as a medical student uh, you are trained differently Mm. Mm -hmm. and I think that's the same for the for the mice and that as a veterinarian you also have a bit of a different perspective and you have kind of to learn it yeah Mm. Mm. on this uh, sad note (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, speaking of sad nice to have you here (laughs) (laughs) this was my final sentence this is quite sad I'm learning a lot no it was really interesting Mm. (laughs) and so amazing like you're actually doing something really good for uh I mean, all humanity. Yeah. I was just thinking about, you know, I'm doing my research. Whom I'm helping. <laughs> yeah, maybe some people, but here you could actually have... Actually mm. save lives. Yeah. Yeah, this was also my motivation. Like, because I guess everybody has experience to lose somebody uh, of cancer. Mm. And that's why I wanted to go into the cancer research direction before I worked actually more with immunology and with virus disease. Mm. Maybe I should have <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you have done that now, you just hit gold. That's very, very true. But do you feel emotionally invested in each exper- experiment then, if you have some personal experience with it? 
Yes, I think from two sides because I don't want to do any unnecessary things um, with that patient or with the mice. And I want to find, identify something where I can help people who are suffering from it. Uh, so of course I want the best outcome for each experiment. So amazing. And you're amazing, Catherine. And, yeah, thank uh, you so much. Thank you so much for coming and wanted to share your experience in the lab and everything you've done during your PhD and postdoc. Mm. Thank you very much. Yeah. It was really nice, really fun to be here. Do you have any last... I'll, I always ask this. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any last like take-home message for aspiring PhD students who are going to work in the lab? Just enjoy it, have fun, and try to get the most out of it and uh, have the most impact on what you are doing to others. Yay! Good one. Really good one. I think it was the first time, actually, when we discussed uh, a postdoc, like how to be a postdoc, and uh, it's nice to open that door, I think. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true, yeah, the first postdoc. Mm. Okay, thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions or requests for upcoming themes, just contact us at Instagram or Twitter or send us an email at phdrhapsody at gmail.com. Awesome. See you.